0: The Edmonton Oilers lost three straight games to the Toronto Maple Leafs over the last, oh, I guess it was 10 days or so here. And after the third loss, Leon Draisaitl did a press conference, and he was asked this very intelligent question.
1: Uh, speaking of not good enough, your top players didn't produce much of anything in this series. Does it add to the frustration that you guys... Uh... Really didn't hold up your end of the bargain? No, we love
0: that. We love going without we'll go a point in, in three days. For you sure. know, sometimes stupid questions get stupid
2: answers, don't uh, they? Yeah. Oh, I, lo- I, I loved it. I loved it.
3: Like I don't think he really did enjoy not scoring. I don't know. i just by his tone.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, heard, well I heard the full clip. There was a question before that one that was even... Like along the stupid line as well. It was and on the spectrum of stupidity. Yeah, the spectrum of stupidity. <laughs> um, but we got to save that. You got to figure what's funny about this is we would never hear that quote in non-COVID times because true. we wouldn't have a Zoom call right it would be good point he would have set it into somebody's microphone and they would have been like well i'm not going to share that so (laughs) anyway pretty good on dry sidle i love i love hearing stuff like that making somebody feel stupid but that's okay hey
0: like i said stupid question stupid answer (laughs) you deserve it Sound of Hockey episode 128, we're calling this one the Nikita Kucherov episode. Why are we calling it that, John?
2: Well, he's pretty good at hockey. Yeah, I've heard of him. And in 2018, 2019, he had 128 points, which led the league. Um, Decent. Wow. That's good. Yeah, and he was awarded the Hart Memorial Trophy that year, as well as the Ted Lindsay Award for the league MVP. So, yeah, I thought that was a good time to call him out. And remember, he's been sidelined with an injury all year mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. hopefully he'll be back by the playoffs
3: won't be getting 128 this year no i doubt it <laughs> <laughs> but great cap savings there so yeah you know yeah.
0: This is Sound of Hockey. I'm Darren Brown, at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter, joined as always by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's
3: it going? I'm at Andy Ide on the Twitter. And John
0: Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL2Seattle on the Twitter. And we are coming to you from Seattle. Uh, we have a review to share with you. This is a five-star review. It comes from City's Rule Whoa. is the name of Ooh. the reviewer. You know, I couldn't agree more, man. Just I'm very, <laughs> very pro-city. I feel yeah. bad for the suburbs. Love it. Or rural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, am uh, too. Right. Technically, I'm... I'm in the suburbs right now, but that's temporary. It's temporary. <laughs> We've talked about that before.
3: You're suffering out there. You're, you're, you're surviving it. Yeah, barely. Uh, There's a
0: 5-star review. It says, "Weekly isn't enough." Ooh. It says, "This podcast is super informative for the most seasoned hockey fan and well-spoken and produced for the newbies. Love the bits, love the segments. The interactions between the three hosts are playful without bullying, except a deserved occasional jab when the Minnesota fan won't settle down." <laughs> okay? <laughs>
2: yes. Yeah, this is my only favorite thing that review. would make it
0: better would be if it were longer. My son and I want to last the full length of our frequent drives from Seattle to Ellensburg. Five stars. Wow. Okay, all right. that's fair. That's, that's fair. Except for the, I thought the Minnesota thing. Like, obviously, he's not talking who, about me. Yeah, he's I was gonna say, who is yeah. he talking about? Who he's
2: just a
3: generic, just a generic about. Minnesota Wild fan? You know, they're they're all they are often getting antsy. <laughs> that's very true. Minnesota
0: fans <laughs> are very antsy. Uh, but I refuse to be lured into talking about Minnesota right now because I just I don't want to be the one that drives that. This yeah. usually comes from you guys. Yeah,
3: I'm so sure. I'm sure we won't hear about it later in the show. I picked a Minnesota player last week as the star.
0: Yeah, I don't think we... Exactly. That's exactly my point is that usually <laughs> you guys are the one that's that are driving... The conversation uh hey we have a big interview this week with the general manager of the seattle thunderbirds mr bill laforge so stick around for that that's a, a very very fun conversation and we're going to start the show with some women's hockey news uh we are recording on international women's day we just want to remind all of you though that we are ahead of the curve here because we talk about women's hockey all the time on this podcast so uh but we thought we should give it a shout out anyway international women's day and uh here we are so nwhl What is the latest, John? Because I know that they had their whole bubble situation that got burst, unfortunately. We talked about it. Uh, COVID infiltrated the bubble. They had to stop playing. So I assume
2: they're just done for the year, right? That's not the case. Oh, Uh, They are going to continue the playoffs and award the Isabel Cup this year. Awesome. Yes. And it's going to be March 26th, March 27th. Um, That's a Friday, Saturday. And they're going to play at Warrior Arena, which is where the Boston Pride play. I've been to that facility. It's awesome. And what's awesome is NBCSN is on board to broadcast the three final games. So that, nice. You know, we talked about the squandered opportunity to Get to the national TV viewing, but that's still on the table and they're going to they're gonna show it. So March 26th, March
3: 27th. I'm really excited about it. Is John Forslund going to do the call again? Uh, he was set to do it before. Have we heard that? Do you know that yet?
2: That I don't know because it was literally just announced earlier today. I don't know. I'm just really excited they're going to do this. And, and there's only four teams that essentially qualify. There's some Moving of teams that they had to do, but Toronto's the top seed. Um, Boston's in it. I think the Whale and Minnesota, of course, is. It's going to be fun. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward yes. to
0: it. Awesome news there. I think we use the word awesome about 15 yeah, times. Yeah, because it's awesome. That. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, and <laughs> while we're on the topic of women's hockey anyway, we might as well talk about the second dream gap game that was played. I, I guess they played two games this weekend, didn't they? One at the United center and then one at like the smaller Blackhawks training facility. Uh, I had some questions, John, cause I actually didn't get to see the first round. I did watch at least part of this game. I was a little confused about the team names. Minnesota against New Hampshire. Can you explain that?
2: Because clearly not all the players are from those states, right? Uh, that's somewhat correct. I don't know where these players are kind of lo- located right now. They, mm-hmm. they kind of like break out into chapters or not pods. I don't want to call them pods, but regions. And okay. so there's there's one in Calgary, which is in Canada. What? Montreal, also Canada. Toronto, okay. also in Canada. And then there's only two U.S. chapters, and that's Minnesota and New Hampshire. So that's why they've got it. it,
0: Okay. So it's based on where they're training. It's not really where they're from or anything like that, correct?
2: Yeah. And this is how the PWHPA is set up is in these kind of regions to kind of create training opportunities for these elite athletes, right? Because some of these are, a lot of the U.S. ones are the U.S. team members, and they train and, and need elite players to train with and play against and practice against and practice with so you you can understand why they're kind of centralized in these different locations probably hotbeds of where these these players are already located i think they actually Mm -hmm. had more last year but it they couldn't keep the caliber up. I think Buffalo had one last year, but to kind of keep the training at a high Got level. It.
0: Uh, you know, the game was good. I liked the the skill level. I will say there's not a ton of emotion, right? Because they're all like buddies. And um, so I, I wish that there was a little bit more on the line. It's very clearly just an exhibition, um, these games at the Dream Gap. Um, yeah. So I wish that they could find a way to inject a little bit more. Hate you know, and bitterness. Hate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, hate and bitterness and like just make it feel more. Like they're they're really playing to win, but um, nonetheless, I mean, obviously, elite skill and and fun to see some of the the superstars of the women's games. So um, I enjoyed what what I got to see of it. One thing I found really interesting, though, I, like you you know, this past week, two weeks, whatever, the NHL seems to be pumping up the PWHPA a little bit. Am I wrong on that? You know, maybe I didn't notice it before, but like I feel like I see all the players wearing the shirts that say PWHPA. I saw a lot from the official NHL Twitter account about hey, this game is coming up. You know, for the Dream app tour. And I don't feel like we've seen that before.
2: Uh, I think we've seen a little bit of it. Right? And, and I think you're on to something that we're definitely seeing more of it lately. Um, mm-hmm. And keep in mind some of like the New York Rangers were kind of affiliated with the New York Riveters and the NWHL. And then the Buffalo Sabres used to be kind of affiliated with the Buffalo team as well in the NWHL. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be shifting a little bit, but I think they're yeah. spreading it out. So And you're hitting on something that I wasn't totally prepared to talk about, but it feels like there's a little bit more... I, I think it's less rivalry between the PWHPA and the NWHL right now, which, mm-hmm. I mean, two years ago, we remember from friend of the pod, Hillary Knight kind of referred to that NWHL as a beer league. Yep. And, you know, that kind of talk was fairly common. I, I don't think she meant it that harshly, but she talked about the elite athletes are in the PWHPA. But I don't know how this is going to play out, but I think there's an opportunity to kind of kind of bridge these gaps here and and kind of create opportunities and maybe even partner with the NWHL down the yep. road. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. I mean, I was coming at it more from uh, is there suddenly more support from the NHL, right? Because people talk about the way for a a league to be sustainable for you know women's professional hockey is to have the NHL in some way supporting it financially and that's not just on a a team basis of we're going to throw some money at this organization because we believe in it but rather from the NHL as a league is supporting the league right to try to make it into a healthy profitable part of their business and that's where my mind is starting to wonder if if maybe there's more momentum heading towards that and suddenly the NHL is trying to pump it up a little bit. so more. That's where I was going with
2: it. There's something to that. But keep in mind, we're heading into an Olympic year. And in mm-hmm. an Olympic year, the U.S. team and the Canadian team centralize all year. And so they practice right. all year together and, and practice and train and you know get on the same page. And, and So they would leave any league that they're in. So do not expect the NHL to create a professional women's league next year. After the Olympics is when you can probably see something happen. And Mm -hmm. I think even right now, there's growth and momentum, in the NHL wants to kind of see that continue. I'm not saying that they're going to step in in two years and create a league, but I think that's the time where it could happen.
3: John, are the... U.S. and Canadian teams kind of set. Are that, are that? Is that who we're seeing playing the U.S.A. team? Do, is there a shot for any of the N.W.H.L. women to make the crack the U.S. or Canadian hockey team?
2: That's a really good question. I'm sure you ask people in charge. They'd say, "Of course, we are looking for the best athletes." But I don't think so. And I think these lines are driven across the national team boundaries in a way. Like there's no national team members that are playing in the NWHL. So I just don't see any players that would kind of make the jump into the national team. So, and if the national players aren't playing this year, they're not going to play next year, obviously.
0: Interesting. Good question, Andy. Uh, Thank you for that information, John. Uh, And you know, good stuff there. I I love it. I love where it's going and I I hope that something does come of it. And you're right. I mean, it's it's not going to happen anytime soon, certainly, but just thought it was interesting to see that. Uh, you know, additional focus being put out from the NHL. And speaking of the NHL, there's been some big news around the NHL. The Calgary Flames fired Jeff Ward and then immediately hired Daryl Sutter.
3: Oh, <laughs> innovative hockey, cutting edge, yep. new ideas. Yep. Uh,
0: Mm-hmm. Very funny facial expressions, yes. <laughs> funny press conferences. Lots of frowny faces. Yeah, I, I love, I put in the weekly one-timers uh, <laughs> post this week, a picture of him, a side-by-side with him and, and Beaker, Beaker from the Mupp- yeah. Muppets. Well, was great. Yeah. That was really um, good. I, I remember I used to put that on t- like Twitter all the time back when he was coaching the LA Kings. Like, oh, there he is, there's Beaker. <laughs> so... Anyway, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I guess he's had some success with Calgary in the past. Obviously, he won two Stanley Cups. But you're right, Andy. It's not exactly a, a jump into you know
3: the future here with Daryl Sutter. <laughs> they they went and got him. He was so he was on his farm, and they went and got him mm-hmm. from the farm to come back.
2: Yeah, I know that's a movie plot down the road yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, comes out of retirement <laughs> off the farm to coach the NHL team to win the win the Stanley Cup. I'm sure that'll happen. Yep. So.
0: It's the hero's journey. You know, he's yeah. he's a reluctant warrior just off, you know, living his quiet life on the ranch. And, and they pull him right, back. Somebody comes in and, yeah, you know, initially he's like, I don't know. I just don't know if I can do it. I'm and a know? rancher now, he'll say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he sees Johnny Goudreau, like, eating his ham sandwich. <laughs> and he's like, God, these guys really need my help. You know? <laughs> so then he gets on his tractor and he drives from Viking wherever that is, Alberta. It was Is Viking in Alberta or I don't know what it's province north, he lives in. It's very north. He drives from Viking to Calgary and, uh, you know, he parks his tractor in the parking lot of the Saddle Dome and he comes wandering in with his boots and kind of <laughs> kicks the poop off of him. And he says, Johnny, you put down that sandwich. I want you to go give me 10 bag skates, board to boards, across the ice right now. He does that. He puts down the sandwich. He skates. Then he shoots a goal in the top po- in the top corner, and everyone looks at him. We're like, "This is it." Yep. Sutters back. It's all baby. been figured out. That's how it plays out. That's the movie right there. Cue the credits.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's done. That's it. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, we just predicted the rest of the season. So
2: I don't know if you guys watched the Battle of Alberta on Saturday. So the coach is still kind of in quarantine now. He can't kind of join the team right away, but. There was definitely some jump in the Calgary Flames game that night. Like, they... They came out rocking. There was two fights. It was uh, it was kind of a rough and tumble. Like, they're kind of trying to impress the new coach. So Interesting. it's already kind of had an impact. They lost, but uh, I thought they, they kind of had a lot of bite. Apparently, it hasn't been there. All Fascinating.
0: Season. Well, Jeff Ward did not make it a full season as the full-time head coach. Remember, he came in to replace Bill Peters after that whole thing happened. Uh, and then he was interim for a while, finally got that tag taken off in September, and then now he doesn't make it all the way through the season. So obviously, I mean, you know, if you're the Calgary Flames coming into this season, right, if you're Brad Tree Living, the general manager there, you have high hopes. You signed most of the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> over the off season, So you figure, you know what? These guys made the playoffs last year and they weren't really expected to be good, but they were kind of good. So therefore, if I take most of their team, sign them as free agents, we should be surprisingly good. They've been surprisingly bad.
3: markstrom has been good. <laughs> One of the the Canucks I
0: got has been good. (laughs) Kind of true, although he keeps losing, so that's really the only Uh, stat that Someone
3: told me it's the five guys in front of the goalie that are at fault.
0: (laughs) Hey! (laughs) Oh, man, my messages are finally getting through to you. That's great. (laughs) The other big news, of course, is Tom Wilson being a wiener again, but we're going to hold off on that until we get to our segments, and instead we're going to move on to our bits for now. And our bit this week, (laughs) like every week of the past 4 or 5 This episodes. is the biggest hit. Is sound of hockey's three stars. <laughs>
3: What do these What do these players win for being being named have Sound of Hockey three stars? Is there like a pin or a plaque we send them?
0: No, we send them a gift certificate for three free podcast episodes, oh. so they don't have to. Yeah, they don't have to pay to nice. listen to three episodes.
3: No, we need a sponsor so, so that we
2: can send them a gift, like uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, yeah, we do a steak at some steak restaurant that I won't name because we want the sponsor,
3: but not a very good steakhouse, just kind of a. No, off. why not? Why
2: not?
0: <laughs> Come on, man. I think we should do Manscaped, and then we can send them a oh. buzzer for their grundles. Um, John, your star of the week.
2: Uh, Trent Frederick. Oh, yeah.
0: okay. Former Wisconsin Badger.
2: That's right. You know, mm-hmm. he's not exactly lighting up in points, okay. but he's kind of establishing himself for the Boston Bruins. He's uh, kind of a physical player. He's he's the guy that got hit in the junk by Ovi on March 3rd. <laughs> the Ovi Pokey? and then The Ovi Pokey, yeah. <laughs> and then... And then <laughs> he actually fought Tom Wilson the night of the event that we're going to talk about later in the show. So, okay. uh and more importantly, he is a Kraken watch player and he's only 22 and I think he's kind of starting to establish himself as a as a pretty significant contributor to the Boston Bruins. So, keep an eye on him. I've been watching him a little bit more closely these days, and he had a kind of a good yeah. week. Uh, there was a hilarious clip
0: of him this week, actually, as they were leaving the ice from the NHL outdoors uh, game. They were playing whatever the victory song is. I think it's called Dirty Water. Yeah. Uh, like, it's literally the Boston Bruins victory song, and it says something about I love you, Boston. As they were walking off to the locker room, he said something like, oh, you know, I don't think I know this song, but I kind of like it. And the guy's like, that's literally our victory song. Like it says. (laughs) He's like, oh, am I supposed to know that?
3: (laughs) You're supposed to like it. That's for sure. Someone didn't put the lyric sheet in his locker.
0: Right. Hey, by the way, uh, speaking of Trent Frederick playing for the Wisconsin Badgers, shout out to Wisconsin Badgers who uh, the men's team won the Big Ten. That's the first time they've won the Big Ten. Uh, They are going to be a high seed going into the NCAA tournament. So I'm pretty excited
3: about that. Andy, your star of the week. My star of the week. I have a knack the last couple of weeks of picking guys who had hot weeks, and then the night we record get blanked. But we're going to go with it again. Mm-hmm. So my star of the week is Mark Stone of the Vegas Golden Knights with their Never gold helmets. Well, he got blanked tonight because he's not playing. He's injured actually. Yes. So, but in the four game, yeah. but they, they the Vegas got blanked by Minnesota. That's true. Yeah. But See, we're not talking about Minnesota. I brought Minnesota we're up again. Go there. Maybe I'm maybe I'm the excited overexcited Wild fan. Yep. Maybe. Um, like- <laughs> getting back to Mark Stone. He did play in four games last week, and he had 10 points, which... I think is pretty good.
2: Well, okay, let's put an asterisk next to that. He played the San Jose Sharks. Come oh,
3: on. he also played Minnesota. He had five assists against Minnesota, didn't he?
2: Well, he played two games against the Sharks. I'm just saying. But like, half his points anybody came against score. Minnesota, I could score three goals against the Sharks. <laughs> but
3: have you? <laughs> not yet.
0: Yeah, not yet. Okay, still a chance. There's still time. Yeah, my star of the week is Vlad Tarasenko. Not necessarily wow. because he's put up huge stats. Remember that guy? Yep, he put up a stat, which was an assist nice. in his first game back from yet another shoulder surgery. This Man. guy. Is yeah. an absolute superstar, but he has been through the ringer. So many injuries, so many surgeries. It's his shoulder over and over and over. And uh, I think that's pretty awesome to see him back in the lineup. Uh, Now, John, I know you actually mentioned him as a potential uh, exposure to the Kraken if, I mean, depending on what happens. I know you have him on the protected list, but, you know, obviously he's an injury vulnerability there for St. Louis and a huge contract.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, is he he injury prone, I guess, is the question. And he's got, like you said, the contract. And it's trying to, in the cap era, they're trying to get money off the books. And so, you know, the fact that he's back, this is back sooner than I expected. I think they talked about end of the season, where hopefully he's available in the playoffs so not i'm knocking on wood you know i'm i'm hoping he he plays well i i'm a fan of him i think he's uh he's a good hockey player he's fun to watch so yes uh, i'd love to see him in seattle but i don't think that's likely so but great to see him agreed
0: hey let's get to our interview with seattle thunderbirds general manager bill laforge We now welcome on Sound of Hockey, the general manager of the Seattle Thunderbirds. He previously worked as director of player personnel and head scout for the Everett Silver Tips. And before that, spent 17 years as a teacher in Edmonton. Welcome to the show, Bill LaForge, and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We are thrilled to be chatting with you. Uh, Andy says nothing but negative things about you. So <laughs> I'm glad that we finally get to clear the air and, and you know, correct him <laughs> on that. So I have a, here's a tough one for you to start it out. So obviously you worked for Everett previously, and then you move over to the Seattle side of things. When that gets announced, how do the fans react to that, that you're kind of going to the dark side?
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm really fortunate. Everyone was pretty good. I mean, I had a a few guys that, uh, you know, maybe don't say hi to me in the conference anymore. (laughs) Everybody from the the parents to the players that, you know, we had helped get there to, you know, the regular fans uh, that you see in the rink every night. Everyone was pretty good. I didn't face the wrath that I thought I might at some points.
0: I mean, it's obviously a pretty big step up and I think most people are pretty rational, right? When when they hear, "Oh, I you're getting a much much higher title and and all that good stuff and more responsibility." I think people kind of recognize why you're making the jump. But <laughs> um I was just curious about that, you know, you're going from from one rival to the other. I was wondering if there's any hostility. But uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, I mentioned that you were a teacher, right? And uh, that's interesting that you go from from being a teacher for so long to really making a life in hockey. I know while you were teaching, you were also running a hockey cat academy in, uh, in Edmonton. But I'm curious, what kind of similarities there are between teaching kids and, and what you do now?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think we're in the business of, of developing young hockey players and, and young men. And, you know, we, we really do push the education po- component on our players. We want them to, you know, take courses, do the best they can in their courses. So I, I think just dealing with young people was uh, was a big lesson for me and, and maybe an advantage I had coming in. But, I mean, even with with my teaching, I was only in the classroom for about four or five years uh, before I started doing the academy stuff. And mm-hmm. once I got into the academy, it was uh, kind of like being the GM of a big a group of team, a group of kids. We had about 100 and oh, I don't know, 175 kids at some points. Hmm. So you know, I was booking ice and hiring coaches and you know dealing with the day to day there. But so the skill level might not have matched up. That might have been a uh, program director's fault. But uh, you know, just dealing with people and you know, dealing with parents, doing all those kinds of things. There, there's some, some areas of the jobs that, uh, correlate, but for the most part, uh, I think this one's a little bit different.
0: Um, and so growing up, I mean, I, I know that your father was obviously very involved in junior hockey and briefly coached the Vancouver Canucks. And, uh, he, uh, he spent a lot of years in the WHL and the OHL. You're kind of doing what he did, but it's, it's different, right? Cause he was obviously more focused on being a coach. You're more focused on being a manager. What made you go that route of, of being a manager instead of, uh, getting behind the bench?
1: Yeah, when I started, uh, you know, my post-playing, I don't even want to call it a career, when I stopped playing uh, <laughs> uh, college hockey, I, I took a couple of years off and and I was teaching and um, got a jo- got an opportunity to coach a midget team in Edmonton. And I loved coaching and I did it, really invested into it for about 10 years or eight years, whatever it was. But I got to the point where I'd kind of done everything I could in minor hockey I, and just, you know, thought, okay, I'm going to try scouting for a bit. And then once I got the into the scouting part of the game, then it really was clear to me that this was the direction I wanted to go in, whether it was, you know, scouting or management, you know, that was more of my passion and um, been a really good tip for me.
3: And, and you played for your dad. Obviously you watched him his whole career as you were growing up as a coach. And uh, I read an interview for, with you recently where you said that one of the, a big influence he had on you was actually off the ice and how, how much he stressed on player, bonding and team debil- uh, development and, and camaraderie uh, how, how important is that and I would imagine especially in junior with the age of these kids that that's that's pretty vital
1: it is and and, and you know we we have great coaches here that are you know really work on that and um but yeah that was definitely something that that he always pushed was you know it was uh your team is your family or a part of your family and and I really believe that and I hope that the the players here see that from our group as well. Uh, you know, right from ownership down. You know, it's a it's a family atmosphere. We we really want each other to succeed, and we want to you know put our best foot forward every night. And you know, there's going to be good times and bad times, and and just like in real life. And we really would you know, really want to be there for each other. And yeah, it's a, it's a good group. And, and that's definitely something that I carried on for my dad for sure.
2: When you transitioned from behind the bench, um, into scouting with the Everett Silver tips, what were those first couple seasons like? And, and were there anything surprising about that, that you didn't think it was going to be as hard or the travel wasn't going to be as, as much as you thought, is there any kind of surprises you, you found there? Yeah, uh,
1: my oldest daughter was born uh, right before my last season of coaching and we ended up that year, we won the Bantam Western Canadian Championships and I, I said to my wife, you know, I think I'm I think I'm think done. I, I'm going to do something that doesn't take up as much time. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go scout and I, I can show up at the, when the game starts and I can leave, you know, with five minutes left if I need to and kind of make my own schedule and uh, she kind of looked at me and was like, I know where this is going. And <laughs> by the, by the start of the second season, I'd uh, kind of expanded my role in Everett and was on the road just as much as I had been before. So yeah, I think that, you know, the time away is definitely hard on the, in the scouting part, but I couldn't have a more supportive wife. So it made it a little easier, but it definitely took more time than I thought it was going to.
3: And you guys are seeing like four to 500 games a year. you those, Junior scouts, right? That, that's a lot of hockey you guys are watching.
1: Yeah. Oh, we were, you know, you, I would go away for the weekend and see, you know, 45, 50 games sometimes if you're watching you know, <laughs> 730 in the morning till 1130 at night, you know, hotels and takeout. So it's not, uh, <laughs> not a glorious life but I loved it. So it was, it was good.
2: And so then, you know, when you became a scout, maybe those early years, did you have a plan? Like, did you want to be the GM or is that kind of milestone in front of you at the time? Or were you just kind of going with the flow?
1: I I, I think when I first started, um, you know, I was working for Scott Scoville, who's now with Winnipeg. And scoby was really good with me just kind of said you know we're going to start you out just in edmonton and and i did that and then my goal was to kind of progress into an alberta scout and then i I did that in a year and i I think i came home to my wife and said you know what i think i want to be you know one of the the guys with a bigger voice in the group and and i got to that level and then uh when scoby went to winnipeg Doug Sotart, who was the GM at the time and Everett called me and asked me if I was interested. And that's when, you know, I might've thought about it before that, but that's when it became, okay, maybe I'm going to do this full time. And, and with all the help of those people, it made it really easy. But yeah, it was definitely kind of a quick transition where I went from, this is going to be a hobby where I where I spend some time in the rink to (laughs) uh, maybe I'll be home once in a while and
3: and when you're in Everett I I read that you uh you kind of put in for the GM job uh after a couple years didn't get it but that that might have been a blessing in disguise and that going up jumping up too soon was something that you learned from your dad's uh NHL experience
1: yeah it was uh it wasn't the GM job in in Everett I I talked to another team in the league about um a GM job really informally you know would you be interested and I said yeah. I sent a resume in and didn't make it too far down the line. I think the closest I got was someone phoned me with a rumor that I was, I was going <laughs> and No, yeah, definitely. You know, in talking to my dad after his time in Vancouver and he said he, he didn't follow the steps correctly. You know, he should have taken the American league job and, and learned the pro game. And I think the extra four or five years I got to work with Gary and Everett really helped me really helped me prepare. And, and Gary was good with me and he, he would let me take on more things as, as we went down the road. And by the end I, I was working hand in hand with them. So if I didn't have that time, yeah, I might've been in a little deep. So
0: when you are scouting, when, and, you know, GM, I'm sure you do a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff too, but you know, looking back or even now, right. When you're, you're looking at kids who are like 13, 14 years old to see how they play hockey, right. What kinds of things are you looking for there? I feel like there's so much development happening around those ages it's got to be a little bit of a crapshoot, right? To like know who's going to pan out at the next level.
1: Yeah, it's definitely difficult. You know, as you, as you do it a little bit more, you learn some of the tells and I call it three speeds, uh, hands, head and feet. I want to see if they can handle the puck, if they play with pace, if they think the game properly. And mm-hmm. that's something that usually you can tell at a younger age, but then you gotta see there's kids that mature a lot earlier than others. And um, you know, if you go meet with a 14 year old kid after and he's got a better beard than you, uh <laughs> chances <laughs> are chances are you're looking at the final product, right? So um <laughs> there's definitely some tells that you pick up along the way. And and like I said, I was fortunate to to learn from some guys had been doing it a while so it's hard but mm-hmm. you never know what they'll do with the draft age and and uh you know they could change it one day but for right now that's what we're dealing with and we just have to project
3: is it the, is it the full beard that gives you an idea or, or meeting how tall the parents are because I look at a guy like Korchinski who I understand that was six feet tall when you drafted him I think he was like five six five seven right so how do you know he's going to be that tall when it comes to his first year of the WHL
1: well, I mean, it's definitely not a perfect science. Uh, the <laughs> first guy I drafted with Everett in the first round was Kevin Davis. And Kevin was about five, nine when we drafted him, and his brother was six foot six. <laughs> so we were like, okay, this guy's gonna be a six four, six five guy. Well, Kevin ended up to be six feet and and a great player in the Western League. Mm-hmm. So there's no perfect tells. I mean, <laughs> but uh, you you learn some things. Big feet are, are a good sign usually. Um
3: <laughs> yeah, Science. I, I've been told that if the mother's tall, that the kid's probably gonna grow taller. Is that is that a true statement?
1: My mom's five two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <So maybe not. laughs> well, I'm only five seven so yeah oh, so maybe that's, that's a pretty, maybe that is true. pretty good uh, pretty good indicator but uh, I, I think everyone's different for sure.
0: So I have a, I have a 13 year old nephew who's pretty good. I'll send you some tape on him uh, <laughs> at, at that age or even you know their parents, right what are what are common mistakes you see from people who if they're a player that thinks they might have a future in hockey, where do they go wrong most often?
1: It's it's so tough because everyone, every player is so different. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the oversaturation, doing too many spring teams or too many camps or, or listening to too many different coaches. You know, when I played, not very well or very long, but when I played, I could play hockey all day long, every day and never get burnt out. Yeah. Uh, of all the guys I played with growing up, only one of us made it. And he never played hockey in the summer. He was a baseball <laughs> Right. So I, I think there there's that. I think the parents making sure the kids having fun. It's so important. Like, you don't you don't ever want to make it a job when they're 13 and 14. And I, I've seen that in, in rinks where, you know, a kid looks broken down after the game because he's got to go talk to, you know, to his parents or someone who's not happy about the way they play. It's just got to be fun. I, I believe it's the greatest game in the world. And, and every time you get to do it, you should be happy. And I mean the sun's going to come up the next day. So you just back on and, and move on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if it was easy, I mean, you could just sign the kids up for the NHL and not worry about any of this stuff. So, <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, one thing that I find really interesting about what you do and especially from like a, a scouting aspects, the kids that play in the WHL, when you draft them, they don't have to play in the WHL, right? If they're a really talented kid, they probably have some options I wonder, have you missed out on any you know where, where you drafted somebody and thought he was going to be a great fit and then he went and played elsewhere? Like how does that, how does that feel when that happens? That's got to be a, a just a crushing blow. It's a bit of a leading question, I recognize.
2: <laughs>
1: you know I've, I've drafted some kids that, that went on and, and did really good things elsewhere. Yeah, but then you know there's other guys that you you don't draft that end up coming your way and, and it works out that way too. Um, you know, Matthew Rempe was never drafted. Sure, came to Seattle, and now he's a big part of our group. Uh, I know one of Andy's favorite guys, Kent Johnson. Uh, I drafted Kent Johnson in Everett. Um, he was just a tiny little pipsqueak that I thought had really good skill and and could play. Well, now he's he's going to be uh, a high high NHL draft pick. So, yeah, there's sometimes you draft those guys and you and you don't get them. But you know, I I believe in our program. I believe in our league. It's the number one development league in the world. I have no problem going into, into a meeting with a kid and, and telling them that. I think our scholarship program is beyond anything you can find anywhere else. So I think that's a great fit for kids. But again, at the end of the day, you know, not everyone gets to play in the, in the WHL or the NHL, but this is an opportunity you know you, if you're getting offered this chance it's something that's really hard to pass up on and um i believe it you know it protects kids both ways they can play in the western league and then go play canadian university hockey and then move on with their either their you know business or teaching career or you know continue playing hockey after but if they want to go to the nhL this is i firmly believe the best development league in the world.
3: And so last year, Bill, you you uh, let me sit in on a scouting meeting. I'm not sure if that was smart or not, but uh, I, I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. But I was impressed by how you let the scouts have more of the talking in that meeting than you did. And I know you want them to have opinions and, and speak up. Uh, it, how much do you have to, like, make it, them feel safe that they can voice their opinions? Because they didn't all agree in that meeting I was was on. And uh, how important is that that they feel that they can voice their opinions to the GM? Well,
1: I, I think it's, it's critical. I mean, we we're all going to have opinions at the end of the day, the, you know, the buck's going to stop with uh, with Cal and Mark, but uh, our two of our head scouts, but I, I want them to put your neck on the line say, Hey, I really like this guy. And, and if you do, and there's a reason, then tell me. And and the same goes the other way. If there's a guy that you really feel is being overrated, tell us about it. And then as a group, we'll make that decision. But um, you know, at the end of the day, Mark and, and Cal have done a really good job. I, you know, just got off the ice watching our group right now. And there's some, really exciting players that they put their name on the line with. And yeah, I, they, they have to feel comfortable around me, but I have to be comfortable with them and I am. So it's, it's been a a good relationship that way.
3: In your opinion, what, what makes a good scout?
1: Well, part of it is having an opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've seen a, a lot of scouts over the years that just listen to whatever the boss says and agree. (laughs) <laughs> um, those don't usually end up very well. So no, I just have an opinion, be in the ranks and, and just use your, your eyes to tell the story and being able to, to relay that properly to the people that need to hear it.
2: A couple years ago, we talked to Dustin Wolf, on the podcast and he kind of you know he comes from california he younger age was northern california then grew up in southern california to develop his game and one thing he mentioned to us is that he's not being critical of the whl but there's more opportunity to kind of showcase the whl as an opportunity for kids in california as and broadly in kind of southern states if you will as hockey is getting more popular in those southern states there's definitely a, a desire to get more u.s players probably playing in the whl or the chl broadly and then last year uh the Seattle Thunderbirds announced the U.S. Challenge Cup and they hosted their first U.S. Challenge Cup. Why is that important from your perspective to get more U.S. players?
1: Well, I, I think it's, you know, you want to get the best players in your league. And if 20, 30, 40, 50% of those best players are playing in, in those areas, then you have to put that option out there. And like I said earlier, I just think with our league being such a good development league, offering such good academic incentives to, to keep playing – um it's our job to to get that out there to these kids i mean we we had uh you know one player born in the states last year we'll have two this year and and that could continue to grow and and we'd be happy with that so i think it's important for us to put our product out there because we're proud of it like i said to you earlier i just think that it's such a good league the way we do things for these kids it's just going to help them going forward and and Part of the thing in the States is you just have to make that option. Like I've gone into meetings where the kids didn't even know. Right. Mm -hmm. You want to make it so now that they, you know, all those kids that came last year, they got to come to a game in the Western league. They got to see, you know, the show where center rocking one night. And it was a great game, uh, especially because we won. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) it, it was a great game. It was a great atmosphere. You know, now, now that's a different option that they've seen. At the end of the day, they're going to make their choice. and a lot of times i'll say to a kid hey you make your choice and i'll support it and we'll move on but i mean gabe ludwig who's gonna play for us this year he had every opportunity to go either direction and gabe came in saw a game here you know, he couldn't even come to training camp last year, but he came in and visited and and we went through the process with the family. At the end of the day, he made a decision with his eyes wide open. He was given all the information. So I, I think that is that's our job and and the kids will make their their mind up eventually.
2: And then do you think in a way Seattle Thunderbirds or maybe even the U.S. division teams have an advantage to get some of those top tier Players in the U.S. because they're actually playing in the U.S. versus hey, where's Medicine Hat? I got drafted by Medicine Hat. I don't know where that is. Maybe even additionally, like with the arrival of the Seattle Kraken, is that subtly a little bit more of an advantage for kind of the U.S.-based teams? That okay, now there's a there's an NHL team up there.
1: Well, I I think that's a a kind of a two-part question. Like the the Kraken's going to help us because the interest level in hockey is going to continue to skyrocket in this area. Yeah. So that that part's going to help us. Yeah, there's an NHL team here. Um, there's an NHL team in Edmonton. There's an NHL team in Calgary. Right. One. So, you know, that can't hurt us, I don't think. The advantage of us being in the States, I guess you could look at that both ways. Then The Canadian kids that we have have to come across the border to play here, and mm-hmm. the American kids don't. Uh, maybe it's easier to, to play in Seattle. But again, at the end of the day, I think it's just each program putting their best foot forward with the players. And you know, sometimes the education's a little easier if you're not changing countries. I mean, I've gone through it with my with my kids in the last three years here. You know, you put the time in and, and work hard at school, you can you can do a good job no matter where you're where you're at. So
3: looking at your current team that's you. I know you just got done with practice. Uh, your players are back on the ice. You haven't seen them for a year. Is there anybody that's jumped out at you that's looking really good in these first couple of days of camp?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said to you earlier, it's just a, it's a really exciting group. I mean, Ludwig, Korczynski, Gustafson, Penner, all those young 16-year-olds that are coming in, they all look really good. Um, and then the older guys, you can see the step that you know Matthew Rempe took. Uh, Connor Roulette looks really good. Uh, Siona looks good. You chaz. Like so you can just see the, the older guys that have been around a while use that time really wisely. And the young guys, you know, they use the time wisely too, but they also just matured a year. Um so they're they're so different. And then having Aremba here, uh Sam Aremba, our 15-year-old, uh, he looks ready to go right now. So that's uh that's pretty exciting. But overall, in all honesty, Andy, there's there hasn't been a player that's disappointed me. It's a really exciting group. It's a it's a fast group. It's a big, fast talented group so the only thing we're lacking right now is probably experience and some <laughs> some age but uh it's it's an exciting group
3: well that experience and age that's that was one of the keys of of the season happening right there's the shortened mm-hmm. season i know there's been a lot of talk of it being development and obviously you've got five guys or so who are in their draft years and, and could be like they obviously will benefit from that but you mentioned some of the rookies gustison and Korczynski. you know those are two first round picks you had how how important is that th- this season for those guys like it would have been detrimental i think if they didn't get at least 24 games in so how how do you see this paying off for them down the road yeah i just think
1: it's it was absolutely critical for for all the players i mean whether it's 16 year old gustafson or 20 year old jerry leone you know these guys need the opportunity to showcase themselves for the older kids especially with the showcase but the younger kids it's just so when they do come in in their showcase seasons they're not you know a fish out of water they've they've seen the buildings they've seen the the opposition they know what uh what the day to day grind of a Western Hockey League season, Western Hockey League season looks like. You know that you talk to them after, and they're like, "Oh, so tired," but this is so. fun. <laughs> Not that I get to talk to them because they're on the other side of the wall, but texting with the coaches after. So.
3: And this is obviously uh, mostly about development this year, so you don't care about winning, right?
1: <laughs> and you know me way better than that. <laughs> um, yeah, I care about winning. Uh, we also. I mean, Development is the focus, but I yeah. If there's a scoreboard, we want to win. <laughs>
0: That's a pretty good answer. I like that. If there's a scoreboard. We want to win.
1: We're gonna we're gonna
0: put that up on a on a banner somewhere. If there's a scoreboard, we want to win. You know, one thing that I always think about with the the WHL and with junior hockey in general, like I grew up watching college hockey, which is a very different approach. And one thing that always really boggles my mind with junior hockey is that you have. 16, 17, 18 year old kids that kind of uproot their lives and they go and live with a family that they've never met before. It's a it's a very, very different atmosphere, I imagine, from where they grew up. And then there's always this factor of the kids could be traded at some point, right? Which like that just, it blows my mind that that's even something that's that's out there. But how important do you think that is, like just those kinds of aspects, you know, and I know that it's, it's trying to be a feeder league for the NHL. How important are those nuances of the junior game to help prepare kids to the next level?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're talking to a guy that was traded a whole bunch. Yeah. So uh, We've done a lot uh, in the Western League to limit the amount of movement trade-wise. When I first started in the league, you know, there was no limit. You could trade a 16-year-old, you could trade a 15-year-old. And, and the league's really moved in the direction where... Until a kid finishes high school, we're not trading them. So unless there's, you know, some circumstance that, that makes that happen. But, you know, we really want to get that education part done before there's any any movement that way. It's it's very similar to the next level in, in that regard in that mm-hmm. we're always pushing. And, and I think that the kids sign up for the Western League experience. They know what it's going to be. The vast majority of kids will play, you know, their career with one team but the odd time there's guys that get moved and we're doing a good job of not moving kids as much as we used to yeah so I, I think that's the best way to put it
2: the women's game is getting a lot of attention kind of over the last six weeks or so um with the nwhl bubble and then some of the pwhpa kind of uh dream gap tour have you been able to watch a game on an all-female game on tv
1: i haven't watched one on tv with my daughter i did take her to uh canada u.s game a number i was gonna be before the last Olympics, I guess she's a, she watches a lot of hockey she's I call her my mini scout she's with me all the time so she's really excited she plays all girls hockey here in, in Seattle uh with Snow King and uh they've done a really good job there so she loves the game and is really passionate about it and you know she follows especially you know the national teams is, is where she follows more so
2: who does she root for now uh Canadian girl still when we get- oh no <laughs>
3: when
1: we get citizenship maybe she'll treat but right now uh her passport says Canada
2: so she uh, um, Man. Devastating. All right. Okay. That's
0: (laughs) fine. Uh, I have two more very important questions for you. First off, uh, what's the career goal for you? Do you consider yourself somebody who's going to stick with junior hockey for the the rest of the road? Or do you have, you know, visions of moving up to NHL or some other league?
1: Uh, That's a good question. I I think with, with everything I've done in hockey, I've always kind of finished one level and then went on to the next. Like I mentioned earlier, I thought I was done coaching Mm -hmm. at the minor hockey level. And then I, you know, became a scout. We got to the league final in Everett. I felt like, you know what, we've completed this portion with me at the in this position. And then I got to move here. I really want to do something special with this group here, uh, with the coaches, the ownership. I, I love, you know, everybody involved here. So uh, if I was here for the next 25 years and that was the what ended up happening, I'd be really comfortable with it. Because like I said, I, you know, Dan and Lindsay have been so good to me and uh, Russ and Colin and the whole group. That, uh, that I'm really comfortable here. But if if something came up along the road that was an opportunity, I would always look at it. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, my other very important question is what's the worst uh, question that Andy's ever asked you in an interview?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Or to I,
3: pick one. I, no, I don't know. I don't
1: know it's probably the one he asked me, uh, does this mean you're throwing in the towel on the season or, or
3: on all those yeah. <laughs> But you gave me a great answer, though. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the magic behind it. <laughs> I was going to say, I
1: think you know me well now that you can ask me those because you know that what the answer is going to be.
3: So <laughs> I'm all about the quote, Bill. I want the quote. What was the
0: answer to that? You didn't even <laughs> own <know> a <the> towel. <laughs> that's what he told yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, are you throwing in the towel on the season? I think I said I don't even own a white towel, so
0: <laughs> that
1: was it. Yeah,
0: you get out of the shower, you're just an air air dry man. No towels in the house. Don't even own Bill a towel. Bill was right
3: though because the team turned around and made the playoffs that year. So Bill was Bill was the one who was right there.
0: Bill, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for for doing this and for your time. And uh, obviously, we'll be watching the Thunderbirds to see how they do. Uh, I know Andy keeps uh, somewhat close tabs on them, so. Thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate
1: it. Hey, thanks guys. Anytime. I had a lot of fun.
0: Thank you again, Bill, for joining us. Thank you to the Thunderbirds for letting us talk to Bill. Uh, Andy, yes. you can't keep asking him about throwing in the towel. <laughs> yeah, I know. Kind of question. I asked him that.
3: once, <laughs> and I actually knew funny. what the <laughs> answer was going to be. I just wanted him to say it to me, so that's why I asked yeah. the question. <laughs> I got you. I got you. That
0: was that was a pretty funny response, and he had
3: that teed up pretty well. So uh, good stuff. <laughs> the next time he made a bunch of trades, I said, "I know the answer to this, but the playoffs." <laughs> so he gave me yeah. a better answer. Which? What was that? That he said, "Oh yeah, that they're always they're always they're going to keep playing until they're told they're not. They can't play." Yeah.
0: If there's a scoreboard around, we're going to try to win it, right? (laughs) Or something like that. He He told me earlier
3: this year that if they were to keep scoring warm-ups, they'd want to win that, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We move on now to our segments, and our first segment is not everyone's favorite segment. We do not have a goalie gear corner this week we do have a You Don't See That Every Day. Actually, we have two of them. This could be a lot of Our people's first, favorite
3: segment. We don't know that. It,
0: Yeah, some people probably like it, yeah. but not everybody like Goalie Gear Corner. <laughs> so, Mark Giordano, you know, every now and then you see a, a stick that gets stuck in the, like the skate blade, right? And mm-hmm. usually it seems to happen towards the end of a play, and a guy kind of like lies in the ice and needs help getting the stick out from under it. So, Giordano gets one in his... I'm watching it. I can't stop giggling watching this. He gets on in his, in his skate around his own blue line and he tries to chase after a Senator's player while he's got a stick in his skate and he, he can't do it. He cannot skate. He It finally comes out when he gets to the other blue line and he trips on it and falls down. Oh, it's just beautiful. I've watched this, this gif of him doing this 20 times now and uh, every time I laugh.
2: Should there be a penalty on that? Was there a penalty? Do you know?
0: know. Uh, so I've I've definitely seen it get called before, right? Where a guy puts his stick in yeah. and then yeah. obviously he trips and falls, right? So it kind of depends on what the circumstance was, yeah. I, I suppose. Because <laughs> he eventually um, fell. He did. Yep. That's... <laughs> That's a good point. If your stick, well, I don't know if you drop your stick and
3: somebody trips it. But we don't know it, who stick that was or how it got there. It's true. It could be his own stick. It could be a teammate's stick. We you know? know,
2: it wasn't his own stick because he was playing with one. It a teammate. That's true. But I'm asking, mm-hmm. in the case where it's an opponent's stick, should that be a penalty?
0: I mean, if the opponent puts it there, then yeah, Probably.
2: Okay. Even though it was like three or four seconds later that he actually tripped. Oh,
0: well, I would assume because th- when this clip starts, he's kind of getting up off the ice, right? Okay. So I would guess that he had, y- you know, usually you don't get a stick right in the middle of your skate and just live to tell about it. Like you're going <laughs> to take a fall, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it made me laugh so hard to see it. And you don't see that every day. No, you don't. The other thing you don't see every day is an NHL team getting evicted from their hotel. <laughs> so <laughs> the Vegas Golden Knights checked into the Fairmont on in San Jose, uh, they had their meal and boom, hotel announced that they were going bankrupt and the they up had the the to find a new. <laughs> or a couple of yeah, hours. Good the Golden go. Knights had to get out and find a new place to stay. So uh, you don't see that every day. That was that was interesting. Apparently, this is the, like the main hotel for the whole NHL too when they come to mm-hmm. stay uh, for the San Jose Sharks games. Correct, Sean?
2: Yeah, that's apparently it. Yeah, and it's like it's like so, a high end hotel too, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's that was super funny. I thought. But yeah, they
0: still. I mean, I I mean sad sad for the hotel and sad for all their employees, but as far as the Vegas Golden Knights are concerned, yeah, it's a little bit funny. We now move on to a get off my lawn, and uh this week the get off my lawn is mine. Okay. Is there mud? (laughs) Good question. There's some mud. Yeah, there's definitely some mud because yeah, it's been you know heavy, heavy rain this week. And hail. So there's been some mud. Uh, Mine is to Pierre Lebrun, very respected hockey person, but he tweets out, Love watching Kirill Kaprizov play. So special. Happy for Wild fans. But when it comes to the Calder, do we need to reconsider the criteria? He played half a decade in the KHL. He's a seasoned (laughs) 23-year-old. Is he really a rookie? He is, according to the Calder criteria. Now, under what circumstances is
3: 23-old? He's seasoned at 23.
0: Listen, if he's a phenom that can play in the KHL when he's like 12 years old, right? Then that's incredible. But the guy can develop wherever he wants to develop before he plays in the NHL. If he's playing in the NHL in his first season, then he is a rookie. And I know there's an age limit that's been put in, but this is the rule, right? The rule is if he's under 26 and he's playing in his first season, then he's a rookie. This is just stupid. You don't need to bring this up, Pierre. Don't take away my nice things that I have.
2: <laughs> I agree with you. So do I. Darren. I'm with Darren.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. But there is a little bit of a Canadian bias, mm. right? I think with Pierre. And I think... They look at these 18, 19-year-olds that are like fresh out of their draft and want to advocate for them. I hate that he chooses in the middle of the season to argue the rule that's already in place. Right? <laughs> yeah. if, you know if what you, that is? You know what that is, John? It's ex, ex post facto. facto. Yeah. Ex <laughs> post facto. <laughs> nice. I know. it's It's dumb. So I do have a story, though, about this okay. rule. So, okay. It's a, a little bit of a setup, but- I worked for a guy that used to collect NHL jerseys. So I had a tech job. That's not his job, but he would collect game-worn hockey jerseys of NHL players. Okay. Sounds like an expensive hobby. It is fairly expensive, but (laughs) he did so much of it, he also could get good deals from the my gray which is the, the company that manages it so okay. he explained it to me showed these jerseys i'm like oh cool he's like if you want one i can get you one for half off you know pick one from the list and they're all listed on on the website and you know i didn't have a whole lot of money then and so i was looking for the cheapest one available and so what i did is i ended up looking at who were like the young like rookies that are having good years in the okay. nhl <laughs> And then I tried to like cross-validate if like they had cheap jerseys. So you understand the logic I was doing. Yes, so in, yes I do. This was in 2003, 2004, and the Predators had this player, Marek Zidlicki. Do you remember that? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I was filtering on the rookies in the stats online. Mm-hmm. And you know Predators weren't very popular then. And it was like, okay. So I'm like, I want Marek didlicky and I, I pre-purchased it. So, like, I bought it in advance so I could actually see my jersey being worn. So, interesting. About halfway through the year, he's off the rookie list, the stats. And I'm like, okay. What the hell happened? Cause I was like, he could win the rookie of the year. This mm-hmm. is great. Right. And, and I'm thinking of value. Turns out he was too old, but they didn't really like filter that out until halfway through the season.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he did he like turn
2: 26 mid-season or something? Uh, it's possible. Because he huh. was born February 3rd, 1937. Oh, they shouldn't catch it?
3: Maybe they shouldn't catch it.
2: Well, yeah, I just don't think it was like the data was set up to like be – rigorous they probably had somebody that had to go are these guys rookies are these guys rookies are, are they do they count toward the rookie but it was his first year so that was my story around it. calder trophy rules on age but where is that jersey now i have it still it's awesome it's the old um, mustard one that third jersey oh yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i'll uh next time we actually record in the studio i'll break it out because it's it's pretty okay. cool it's it's so heavy it's like a fleece it's it's insane. Yeah. It's a sweater. I actually have a Trevor Linden game worn, too. Oh, very so you know. cool. Yeah. So,
3: um, anyway. To, I agree with Darren Say all of our takes on this. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, if he if he wins the Calder, I should win the Calder. But LeBron did kind of backtrack because he got a lot of heat, and he did say that, well, if Kaprizov is the player to, to that's the best – I'm going to vote for him, but I think we need yeah, to have a conversation what he said. about this. <laughs> he's going to do it, but he doesn't like it because the guy's not Canadian yes.
0: and he's not playing for a Canadian team. So
3: there you go. And Darren, did Bingo. I, see, did I see you tweet that you now have two Pierre's that you don't like? What? A pair of piers. <laughs> yes. Did you, did you tweet something about that earlier this week?
0: Oh no, I messaged that to you. That was oh, private. Sorry. That <laughs> was don't private airing, sorry. Don't go airing my dirty laundry like I that. I know. I thought That's that was messed a tweet. Up. Uh.
2: Pierre Bronson's the other Pierre.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: even know who that is for me. Uh,
0: we also have a bad boys. So I alluded to the fact that Tom Wilson. We had to talk about him still being a wiener. You know who else is a wiener? That Jack Edwards fellow uh. in Boston. Uh, so after this hit happened, and everybody talked about the hit already, so I don't know how much we really need to talk about it, but you know, Tom Wilson nailed Brandon Carlo and kind of smashed his head into the glass and got a seven-game suspension for that, which we can talk about a little bit. That's fine. But <laughs> Jack Edwards said something like, okay, now is where we take a number and we go out and we throw an elbow into the face or something like that. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this guy doing? He is just... He's just something else. And it's been a while since we've had to talk about Jack <laughs> Edwards, thankfully. But Tom Wilson brings out the worst in the NHL. Seven games. Let's let's do it. You know, is this what you guys expected? I thought it was a little light based on his history, but whatever. Yeah,
3: I mean, these are so hard to, to figure out what the right – I never know what the right number should be. But, you know, obviously he's got a history of this kind of stuff. he he'd been a good boy, quote-unquote good boy, for a year and a half or so. but um <laughs> It was a pretty bad hit, and so he's got to sit. And there's um, a lot of that Ryan, a lot, lot that, of that debate, be...
2: though, if it was it wasn't even a penalty. Well, no, so, they no. did not call a penalty on the ice. Yeah. No. there was a lot of debate if it should have even been a suspension, because or is it just because it's Tom Wilson, or was well, it because Carlo was hurt? Yeah, like,
0: I mean that's the thing is like he sent the guy to the hospital, and he's Tom Wilson. So and he hit a guy in the head. You know, like it's different from a lot of his other suspensions because it's not in well, open ice,
2: right? But it but is got, different in the player safety announcement. They talked about mm-hmm. the the event was charging, not hitting to the head. Mm. So I don't know if that was intent to injure or not. I'm not really taking Tom Wilson's side, but I know there was a lot of debate whether should he get suspended because it's Tom Wilson? Should people get suspended if people are hurt? You know, this game moves so fast to me and these subtle things, subtle movements happen that kind of create these vulnerabilities. But if they're trying to get you know, injuries out of the game. I think they need to figure a better way to hit the person than to, to put themselves in a awkward position where they could hit somebody in the head. So I just know there was a lot of debate about it. Usually I'm, I'm fine with whatever player safety does. They, they look at a lot more of these things than I do and, and usually back it up with some pretty good videos online that explain mm-hmm. a little bit more, more detail on why they ruled the way they did. Okay. Interesting. A uh, good company man.
0: There, really towing the line, John. <laughs> We have other bad boys wow. as well. Uh, known goon out of Spokane, Kyler Yamamoto. Oh
3: yeah. Ruthless. <laughs> He's ruthless. Fined
0: for a slew foot. Now it was a it was a pretty bad slew foot, if I'm being honest. If you watch the video, it's pretty obvious you know I kind of hope that he thought he was doing something different but it really looks like he just kicks the dude's foot uh, and that's that so I don't really know what he was thinking there but well it was a little was bit fined. of a
2: retaliation because that guy actually got a penalty for like charging earlier in the play mm. um, and it was okay. just a delayed call Got
0: it. alright and then uh, speaking of somewhat local tied players Joachim Blackfeld and I literally put the pronunciation <laughs> key into our show notes here so I didn't screw that up. Yoakim Blackfeld was also suspended, I think two games for hitting Nathan McKinnon in the head. Now that's a classic, like going through the middle of the ice and catch a guy with your shoulder in the face and you get a penalty for that. Um, you get a suspension, I should say. So he got a match penalty and then he also got two additional games of suspension the somewhat comical thing here is that this was his first game of the season and I think it's only like his 4th career NHL game
2: in total. So, <laughs> whoopsie daisy. Honestly, I was watching the game, I didn't think it was that big of a hit, but whatever. He was literally going to the bench. He did not like they called it intent to injure and there's if he intended to injure, he would have killed him, right? Because right. maybe clipped his head first, but it looked like he clipped his shoulder as well. Fine. That's fine. But what's interesting yeah. later in that game, I thought of you, Darren, because oh. Brandon Saad shortly after basically ran the goalie and hit hit him in the head. Yeah, and he hit him in the head. And I always wondered like how come like you can hit goalies in the head? I mean, not all the time, but more often than probably hitting players in the head because they just kind of get close to the net and kind of run them and clip them. It's like, oh well, the goalie's got all these pads, but McKinnon had a helmet on. So did the goalie. So, I don't know. Do you have any take on that? (laughs) <laughs> like, obviously, uh, you don't like people <laughs> running the goalie. No, but.
0: I'm not a fan of it. Uh, and frankly, like, the helmets are protective, but they're protective from pucks. They're not really that protective from big crashes. Like, they're not football helmets, you know? Like, yeah. Where they're designed to sustain this huge force from a human. So it's just as dangerous for a goalie to get run as it is somebody in the middle of the ice. The thing is, though, usually there's not as much, like, force because the goalie is usually holding still, right? Like when you think about two cars running into each other head on, there's a lot more force in that than if a car is sitting still and a guy runs into you, right? So Yeah, and
2: when a player runs a goalie, they're not like skating like full speed into them but yes if you hit somebody in the head no matter what the speed that's should be a penalty and it was a penalty yes,
0: I think yeah. most of the time people kind of give the benefit of the doubt that they're not intentionally checking the goalie though right they got out of control and they ran into them and so it's goalie interference and you move along so you have a point though I, I think once I want somebody to think about the goalies you know nobody I, does it
2: and I just did <laughs> I just did I was thinking of you
0: Thank you so much, John. Uh, We now move on to our weekly one-timers. Our first weekly one-timer. Speaking of the Seattle Thunderbirds, as we did earlier, uh, Matthew Barzell, former Seattle Thunderbird, ever heard of him, uh, scored a ridiculous (laughs) goal this week. (laughs) He gets the puck in the neutral zone, skates in. I think, were they playing Buffalo? Am I correct on that? They were. Which is, of course, they were. (laughs) Uh, He skates in. Muscles the dude off the puck. I think it was Ristolainen. It was. And like just fights so hard to put himself between the puck and the other player. Somehow gets around the corner, puts the stick between his legs, goes top shelf. Beautiful goal. Could be goal of the year. What a play by Matthew Barzal. It was okay. It was okay. John does that all the time in three on three. Seems like he's pretty good at hockey. Yeah, he's all right. Our next weekly one-timer. Brent Seabrook. Has decided to not retire, but he can't go on playing because of injury. Uh, Now, I don't doubt that he has injuries. I know that he has injuries. I think he's had a really good career. I also know that he has a terrible contract, and I know that this will be big cap savings for the Blackhawks because he didn't say he's retiring. He said that he can't play anymore because of injury. John, do you think (laughs) it's possible that Stan Bowman... Has once again weaselled out of salary cap issues by talking his player into saying they can't play anymore because of injury, or a rash, or whatever, <laughs> instead of saying the word retire.
2: Well, you know, Marion Hosa is still technically in the league. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what team he's playing for now, or he's uh, his rights are for is it the Coyotes still? Yes, yeah.
0: isn't Datsuk still on the Coyotes? I think he too? is, yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: or he was at least. <laughs> uh, this is what a kind of prep I put into this is I. Took a list and pulled all the data of the 50 highest paid injured reserve players in the league right okay. now. Okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, Just for and there's no you, let's So, get you knew where I was going to go with this. Yeah. yeah, I did. I was prepping, but Datsuk is no longer with the cup. Of tea. Oh, okay. So,
0: all right. Gather around while, while. John reads you a list of fifty names.
2: <laughs> Jonathan Tays, ironically, is the highest paid the reserve player. Mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. Yeah, okay, they weaseled out of this bad contract, but he literally has no cartilage in his in his hip. Like, yeah, that's not good. And like you said, he's he's obviously injured. But you know, Ryan Kessler still on the books in Anaheim. Henrik Zetterberg in Detroit. Yeah, Johnny Boychuk was kind of in right. the same category over the summer. So. I know how the optics look, but at the same time, like it, Seabrook is entitled to that money. And if he's injured, he's still entitled to that money. That's part of the risk that the, the team does. Now he's actually making just $7 million. I That is a pretty big contract and that's uh nice money to move off the books. But I don't know. Like who are you think they're gonna sign some big free agent right now? I mean Chicago's still probably in the rebuilding phase. But yeah. and who knows what happens with Jonathan Days.
0: Right. No, I don't know. It's just it's just classic Stan Bowman, right? I was I was so furious when they figured out a way to get out from under uh Marion Hose's cap hit by him having a mysterious rash all of a sudden so <laughs> Um, and by the way, this reminds me that uh, my friend Jeff, who he and I made a bet that Marion Hossa was going to play again in the NHL. So I'm beginning to think he's actually not going to play again in the NHL. Does
3: that mean you're going to win?
0: I think it means I'm going to win, which means that he has to go with me to a wild game in Minnesota and dress up in wild gear and pretend to be a wild fan <laughs> while they're playing against the Blackhawks. So.
2: I like it. That's a good bet. Yeah. So, the thing with Hossa, though, is his contract was front-loaded. Mm-hmm. So his salary was only one million dollars the last few years of his, but not his cap hit. Yeah, his ca- no. You're right. The cap hit was five point two. So right. okay, a million dollars is a lot of money. Like I'm not trying to say it's for no, some people, but when you made like 10 million for multiple years at the beginning of your contract, playing for a million isn't that significant. So that that's the one that makes of one a little more salty, if if you ask me.
0: All this aside, though, credit to Seabrook. We should say he actually had a really, really good career. Yeah. Uh, he was a huge piece of the three Stanley Cups in Chicago, including you know scoring a couple of huge game-winning goals, one to send the team, I think, to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. You know, incredible career. I think I heard the... That he has like the all time record for blocked shots. Um, so uh he fell out of favor in the last few years because of his contract. But you know what? That's not his fault. If <laughs> if you're a Blackhawk <laughs> fan and somebody offers you the money that Stan Bowman offered him,
2: I bet you wouldn't say no. Do so. you know the one little last bit on Seabrook is he was actually on the twenty ten Winter Olympic uh the Canadian Winter Olympic team. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until I read the story. Like, because 'cause you're right, Seabrook has like fallen off and, and slowed down quite a bit. But you know, peak of his powers, he was pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, he might have slowed down because he doesn't have
0: cartilage in his hip, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
2: that would slow that, me that down. That might <laughs> you down yeah.
0: Our final weekly one-timer. <laughs> Ooh, some Canoosh for you. Jim Benning <laughs> thinks that <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks can be good in two years. So Man. that was the plan all along, right? They had this, uh, you know, this rebuilding plan. Uh, They got to this point in time where they had everybody in place. And then they said, okay, now in two years, we'll be good again. Right, Andy?
3: Was that the point? We are in year seven of the seven year plan to be competitive. So (laughs) better, right? Like you've improved it. You've gone from seven year plan to now two year plan. So I'm pumped, man. In two years. They're going to be competitive. Like, you didn't even say good. Just, you just said competitive. Like, what does that mean? Like, you're squeaking in as the eight seed? <laughs> I don't know.
0: I mean, I, I just, I never, Ugh. like, root for guys to get fired, right? But, like, that does not strike confidence in me as a as a fan, you know? If I hear that, I'm like, all right, we've reached year <laughs> seven. You asked us to be patient for seven years yep. as you put this rebuilding thing through the ringer here and it's been miserable for this period of time mm-hmm. and now we're in year seven and you're
2: like yeah two years, two just, years
0: just be patient maybe like, well I, maybe, no
2: way maybe it was like this reverse psychology thing here because they would go on to beat toronto in two straight games after that's he made true. those remarks and they beat be so, oh, no. right. so they're so they're three zero. Yeah. no bad <laughs> ideas oh
0: okay maybe all right so that's our weekly one-timers We don't quite close the show. We almost close the show with our tweets of the week.
3: Uh, Andy, your tweet of the week. My tweet of the week comes from Dmitry Filipovich, who I think we've used before. And he Mm -hmm. tweets a gif of Carter Hutton of the Buffalo Sabres, goalie extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. And he's hugging the post because the puck's in the corner. They're playing the Islanders. And the shot comes from a very bad angle, like behind the red line. He seems, he appears to move his head out of the way, allowing the puck to hit him in the back of the head and go in the net. And Dimitri tweets, experience Buffalo Sabres hockey. That's pretty much how it's gone all year.
0: I'll go next. Mine is kind of in that vein. So mine comes from Brother Bear 49 It says, it looks like one of those, like, Elliot Friedman tweets that says, so-and-so has been placed on waivers. Mm -hmm. Except it just says, the Calgary Flames, parentheses, CGY, have been placed on waivers. (laughs) (laughs) It's the whole team. They're on waivers. John, your tweet of the week.
2: Mine requires a little setup. Um, So the first tweet was from the National Predators. And it says, Ryan Ellis has been placed on IR with an upper body injury and is out four to six weeks. And then a response comes from Ryan Ellis. Mm -hmm. And it says, trade me, please. (laughs) So that's actually Ryan Ellis Racing, who... Commonly gets confused with Ryan Ellis, the Nashville Predator defenseman. Basically, causes a little bit of a, a stir. A stir, yeah, <laughs> among the Predators fans. And Ryan Ellis, the NASCAR driver, uh, retweets it and says, "Sorry, Preds NHL social media and PR department. It seemed like fun, but I'm sure you hate me now." <laughs> that's-
0: oh, that's that's pretty good. I, I really like that guy on Twitter. He's uh, he's always like leaning into it, right? The the mix up yeah. of Uh, him and Ryan Ellis, the hockey player. And actually he has a picture of himself as like his avatar drinking from the Stanley cup, which I think (laughs) adds to the confusion for a lot of people. So pretty funny stuff. Uh, all right. That's our tweets of the week. And we close the show with something a little bit different this week. As we kind of alluded to, we have an in memoriam section, uh, two legends in the hockey world passed away. Sadly, uh, Walter Gretzky, father of Wayne Gretzky, uh, very well known as the patriarch of Canadian hockey. People just seem to love him. Uh, passed away after a long battle with Parkinson's, degenerative Parkinson's, a lot of other issues, um, health issues, apparently. So uh, sad story there. I did see a, a picture of his funeral, all the people in their little, Hometown came out with hockey sticks, and as they were driving with the funeral procession, they all tapped their sticks on the ground, which I thought was very Canadian and just an awesome way to, to send off Walter Gretzky. Um, and then also uh, Mark Pavelich, Team USA legend from the 1980 Olympics, uh, passed away as well. Uh, very very sad, and um, sounds like there are a lot of off ice issues for him um, over the years. So uh, two sad passings in the uh, in the hockey world, but uh, we thought we'd be remiss to not at least mention those. That does wrap up our show. So thank you again to Bill LaForge for joining us. Thank you again to the Seattle Thunderbirds for letting us talk to Bill. Please do subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, subscribe on Spotify, leave your five-star review like Cities Rock did. And we'll lead yes. it. And we'll read it on next week's episode, uh, which will be episode 129. Cheers. You've been-